Hey guys, I'm your host Smita Kanturi and welcome to Journey Podcast, your weekly podcast on transformational journeys. Hello everybody. Today I have with me Julie Maria. She's an Akashic Record and Sacred Soul Alignments practitioner, Reiki master, medium and intuitive. She has spent many years doing doing her own deep inner work which enables her to connect with her clients to help them gain clarity and heal on a deeper level. She uses a variety of modalities in her work. She is passionate about holding space for her clients to feel emotion and heal their wounds so they can level up and change their lives. Welcome to our socially. Thank um, you. Definitely I just spoke to you. I was asking you about what your <laughs> words mean. So if you can start explaining them and also like tell us like what where you are today, why you are helping other people. what made you to take this path and what is your past history sure um so the akashic records are one of my passions they are a healing modality and they are a record of every thought word and deed of one soul we all have one um the quote unquote secret to using them is asking specific questions um in specific circumstances a lot of people have this misnomer that if you're in the akashic records that your guy as soon as i open your records to do private client work as an example that your guys are just going to verbally vomit all over everything and like talk about stuff from 20 years ago that nobody cares about the truth is is that you're asking specific questions about what you want to know so mm. there are healing modality there an opportunity to clear stuff up that um needs to be healed that we we have and we heal in layers right so the notion is that whatever you're asking for in the moment you can go in and like i had i just did a um live an hour ago in my group and people would ask ask me questions like is it in my best and highest good to um end this relationship or is it in my best and highest good to walk away from a situation things like that so it gives you the opportunity to it's almost a birds eye view Mm-hmm. but it's also your soul's point of view because a lot of times we make decisions either unconsciously entirely or we're making them from an ego point of view as opposed to what's in our best and highest interest which is a completely different thing um so when you when i started sorry 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 when you mentioned like yes we ask questions and we get answers whom are we actually asking that questions to excellent question So we all have spirit guides, Akashic records guides mm-hmm. um that help us out and it's one of the ways that I would equip make it equivalent to is talking to your guardian angels. Mm, okay, got you. Um or you know who and whatever or whoever you believe in. So if you are a guardian angels person, if you are, you know, talking to God, however you want to phrase it, um but yes. the notion is is that you're asking your records and your guides are answering you. Mm-hmm. Um and as an Akashic Records practitioner I'm a conduit for that. So it's kind of like being a phone line like I g- give you what I hear, um what I see, what I interpret. Mm. And um I find that I've been doing it for almost 3 years and I find that it is incredibly helpful not only for myself but for my clients in terms of helping them heal and getting into like what are we really healing? Mm-hmm. Because I feel like um to go into my story when I started my healing journey back in 2011 I was miserable I mean I'll just be honest about it I was super miserable and I didn't really know why but I was in this space of there was a trifecta of events I got rejected by somebody and um a friend of mine held me to account and said you need to go get help 
Mm. You're miserable. Go mm. find a therapist and report back to me. Mm. And I was sort of stunned, went to a space of finding a traditional therapist, went through that for about um, probably about a year and a half total, but started really questioning um, everything, my faith, my um, background and you know who I was, what I was doing, why I was upset, really relearning about um, you know what I was trying to do. So as I was on my healing journey and going through, working through my emotion and learning different ways of, you know, dealing with life in a new way, experiencing emotion, learning to handle um, my emotion in a different way, learning to dig into anger, sadness. And then I hit into, I was at an event and I saw a card on the table for um, the rape crisis center that we have locally here in Wake County and Raleigh, where I live. And something about it just stirred me. And I didn't know, didn't make the connection immediately. It would be a few more months before I had this aha moment. And I was having, I don't want to say violent dreams, but I was having very vivid flashbacks. And I didn't realize they were flashbacks at the time. And had this epiphany one day, oh my God, you were date raped. You were raped. And I had buried it. I had buried it. I was date raped in October of 2002. And we, I didn't know what I didn't know. And so when you don't know what you don't know, I didn't report. I didn't do a rape kit. Um, I didn't do anything. I scrubbed. I, after he finished doing what he was doing, I got in the shower and I scrubbed my skin raw. Oh, and I, um, I mean, I, I didn't, and honestly, I mean, that's one of the things I think is the biggest thing that when I talk to people now is I'm always saying, get a rape kit done. It doesn't mean you have to prosecute. It doesn't mean you have to do all those things, but you have to have that physical evidence. And I destroyed everything. Um, and I didn't know what I didn't know. I just knew I wanted everything related to him off and of and out of my body. Um, so to rewind just a tiny bit, um, I had been in a consensual relationship with my boyfriend for, I mean, we'd been together, I think like 10 months at the time. And um, we had been consensually intimate earlier in the evening. And then probably around 2, 3 a.m. or so, I wake up and he's trying to have sex with me. And I think the most important thing to remember when it comes to date rape, which is the overwhelming majority of rape cases are perpetrated by someone we know. Mm, true. And I think it's a really important thing to point to drive home because so often we think that it's that guy that's lurking in the parking lot when you leave the bar at 2 a.m. or that bridge dwelling homeless dude or that whatever. We have this like big scary monster thing and the reality is the big scary monsters aren't big and scary and they're in our home. Mm. They're around us. And so often we don't talk about it because we have this notion in our society, again, of the big, scary stranger. Yep. Um, and there's also the notion with, and I've been asked about it, you know, well, he was your boyfriend, so he was entitled to intimacy or knowing people who were in a situation with a husband or a fiance and well, he's entitled to intimacy. No, no, no. That's not how this works. And that notion in our society and in some cultures as well that your bride is your possession that she is your property yes 
I know, and, I know they're speaking. Yep. And so when, you know, when a woman comes from a space, especially if she's coming from a culture or a country or a religious background that says that she is the property of someone else, she probably doesn't understand that she's in a space where her body is autonomous. Her body is her own. Hmm. And further that she doesn't owe anybody sex. But a lot of times if we grew up with that notion, like if her mother grew up with that notion or whoever's caretaking and raising her grew up with that notion, she's not going to know differently. Yep. So true. Um, and I think that, you know, a lot of times we come into the space of realizing like I did. I mean, like when I was first, when I was date raped, um, I was date raped, was sodomized. Um, and, you know, people have asked me as well, why didn't you tell him to stop? Or why didn't you um, get away? Or, you know, if you'd had a gun, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you need to understand when you're in that moment, or my favorite is what are you, what were you wearing? I'm like, um, I was naked laying next to my boyfriend. So someone I thought I could trust, so I was naked. But the reality is, is that, you know, it's, you know, it's, um, it's one of those things that I think a lot of people open mouth, insert foot because they don't know what to say. So it's easier to victim shame. Yeah. And I end up saying to people, okay, but here's the deal. You know, I can wear whatever I want and my, your, any woman's, you know, it's important to remember that a woman's body is her body and we are not responsible for a man's reaction to us. Well said. Um, we are not responsible for their physiological or their physical reaction to us. Um, I'm not responsible for turning people on and off. Yep. You're not, you're, you're not a machine. You're a human being. If you have, if you are turned on by something that I do, that is your body. And that is your responsibility. Just like if I look at someone and I go, Ooh, he's got a cute booty. I'm still responsible to keep my mouth shut and my hands to myself. Hmm. And I think that it's really important in terms of the discussion about rape and sexual assault that it doesn't matter what a woman was wearing. Yep. She was not asking for it. Yep. Um, unless she, and, and I think the thing that people overcomplicate it, when I say to people, was there consent? Did she say yes? Or, and I've been in situations with people where people are joking about, well, he wants it and I'm, you know, I'm his girlfriend or I'm his wife or I'm his you know, whatever role you're playing and therefore, um, or whatever title you have, he's entitled to No, If you're not in a space where you are for whatever reason, not feeling it, you are absolutely entitled to say, no, thank you. Yeah. And he needs to respect that. And we've lost that. And honestly, you know, when I was raped, I, like I said, I remember saying no, and I was half asleep. I was like, I just want to sleep. I just, I tried to crawl away and he grabbed my hips and I tried to crawl away again. And he grabbed my hips again. And he was like, just once you wake up, you'll enjoy it. You'll get into it and you'll enjoy it. And at that point I knew I was scared and I knew my job was to survive it, hmm. to get out of it alive. Number one. And number two, that I didn't know if someone is in a space where you they have a certain behavior and then all of a sudden they don't. Hmm. That's when your survival instincts kick in. And my only job was to survive. Yep. So my was, job was not to see if I could find 
a weapon or if I could, when I'm in a space where there's no place else to go, it's yeah. like, you know, people say, I'm, I'm, and I end up saying to people a lot, and I've said this to, to people on, you know, different occasions in different forums. Um, I'm, I've written articles about it. So I've answered questions for people and said, you know, it doesn't matter because the fact of the matter is, is he made a choice to violate my boundaries and my body and walking into the place of where I said no, and he violated my consent. So the con after everything after that is on him. Mm. And we, as a society, we've lost that. So I went into this, you know, I, I, so I, again, he finished what he was doing and I got in his shower and I got, wanted to get all of that off of me as soon as possible. Um, and again, if you happen to be listening to this and you are a, you know, you ever find yourself in a position like this, don't touch anything. Get a rape kit done. Even if you never use it, there's no obligation to use it, to testify to it, anything like that. Um, but I didn't do that. And I got home, drove myself home. I don't even remember driving home, got in my shower again, and probably took another two or three showers and scrubbed and scrubbed and scrubbed, got in my bed. Um, my hair still on a towel, my body still on a towel, got in my bed and just wanted to forget everything that happened. And I, at one point was pretty sure that I had like, nothing had actually happened. Yeah. Um, because I, in my brain, I was like, well, but he's a good man. He wouldn't do that. And we have this notion a lot of times, especially again, when it's someone close to us, you're, you're in shock that somebody would do that. You trust would do such a thing. Yeah. Um, and it slows down your process. So I was in a situation where um, a couple weeks later, um, he broke up with me. And then I ended up telling my parents what happened. Um, I ended up telling my mom, my stepdad. And again, people that don't know, hey, you need to report this even if you have no evidence, blah, blah, blah. Um, we don't know what we don't know. Yep. And I'm at a point where when I, part of what has me on a journey to talk about my rape and to talk about this and to really get in depth with it is because if you know, and you know, someone it happens to, you can at least have that catch of, please go get a rape kit done, even if you never use it. Yep. Yep. Um, and a lot of states sit on them. A lot of states, unless they have a rapist and they have a positive ID, if you're able to say, hey, I know who did this to me, I know where you can pick him up, blah, 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 that's going to make it a whole lot easier for your situation to, for you to get justice. Yep. Um, and a lot of times, you know, part of the problem is, is that we don't, one, we don't talk about um, rape. We don't talk nearly enough about sexual assault. We don't talk nearly enough about these topics. And if good men are doing nothing, there's no laws in a lot of states to even speak to it. Like there's this whole thing about, you know, well, if it's your spouse and it's not rape in some states. And that's, a, you know, that's a, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those places where I take a very deep breath and go. Yep. Um, okay. But just because I'm married to you doesn't mean we're, I'm not entitled to your body any more than you're entitled to mine. The question when, when I got into this, I think I spoke to you about this topic when we were talking earlier. 
one of the questions that I got back was like, not to me in specific, but when the topic was going on, it was like the female already know that her husband is not a good person. Let's just say, for example, if they are not going well and they are like thinking about divorce or like getting separated, but it will not happen overnight to get separated or to divorce. But as long as we take the time to come out of that relationship, how is the other person can just take advantage of you because you are still there, you are still figuring out to come out of it. Whether you are figuring it out, whether they are figuring it out, it doesn't matter. But as long as you are still together, as you mentioned, like, yeah, you are entitled for that. Why is that? How is that even possible? I don't understand that part. There was like a debate went on with one of my close friends about it. He was like, no, it, it, it happens because you decided to stay with that person, though you know it is a bad person. Yes, I decided with a hope, thinking that the person might change. Doesn't mean I wanted to have sex with him or do anything with it. I, I'm trying to make him as a better person and continue my life. Doesn't mean like, yes, I, I can be there for anything that you are expecting me to do. That's not how it works. That is not at all. But the question came back again saying like, though you know he's a bad person, you took your sweet time to actually come out of that relationship. And why is that for you? Like, for example, for me, for example, like I, I took like 10 years to come out of my domestic abuse relationship. But his question was, okay, you know that from the day one that it is not going to work out, but you were there for 10 years. And 10 years, you expect the other guy not to have anything with you? I, I really don't know how to answer that question. Well, I think the notion, I think first the thing is, is that that person is putting a lot of judgment. And we do, we put a tremendous amount of judgment as a society on domestic violence situations because we don't understand the dynamics. If yep. you're in a situation where, for example, um, a friend of mine was in a domestic violence situation for probably six or seven years and she was beat daily, she was hit daily, she was raped repeatedly, all the things. And people would say, well, how come you didn't just take it for everything it was worth and get out? And, you know, her, her, you know, her comeback to that now that she's in a, you know, she's really done a lot of healing work on it. She's like, you know, first of all, you're judging something. And when we're judging something, it's because we're trying to control something that's not in our control. Yep. And so we're in a situation where instead of saying, I'm so sorry that that happened to you, what can I do? Obviously I wasn't there at the time. I couldn't help you. What can I do now and forward to like, what can I do to educate myself? What can I do to support you? How can I um, be a better man, woman, person about domestic violence? How can I educate myself about rape, sexual assault, domestic violence situations? That's a better question than someone judging us and saying, well, if you knew they were a bad person, but we make it very cut and dry. And it's really easy when you're not in that situation to say, oh, if I was in that situation and cop an attitude and act like you already know, because so often, you know, there's kids involved, there's finances involved, there's jobs, there's real life. And then there's all the other stuff, the sliding pieces of that life going on. And we don't know what's happening oftentimes. And so we're in a space where, um, you know, the person isn't coming forward because there's a lot of gaslighting going on. There's a whole nother section of, you know, 
talking and doing and whatnot going on that we are not aware of. Yep. yep. And it is not our prerogative to, you know, for us to say to somebody, um, you know, oh, I know what it's like to be, if you haven't been, yep. close your mouth. But it's really easy if you're on, and, the, and one of the things that I've witnessed over and over again is when I talk about my rape or I talk about sexual assault, so often people will viscerally react because it's like, because everybody thinks that I've had people say it's not as bad as it seems or, well, the numbers are only, and I'm like, okay, well, if your daughter, your wife, your sister was the only one, would you have an issue with it? Yep. And then they're like, oh, well, yeah. And I'm like, okay, so let's put you in the system. Let's personalize it for you so that you understand so that you can stop judging yep. other people and trying to covertly control something that's out of your control. And yep. then we get into you know, the situation of a lot of, because if, if legislators that make the laws can't imagine this, that, or the other thing happening, there's no laws about it. Yeah. yeah. And try and explain to people, you know, you're not entitled to sex. Number one, nobody's entitled to sex. Um, that's the first thing. The second thing is, is the notion of it's, and I tell people it's super simple. Did you have permission to touch, to feel, to be intimate with somebody or not? It's as, I mean, that, as simple as that. Yep. It's super simple and people try to make it this whole like, well, there was this shade of gray and that shade of, and this and this and this. And I'm like, no, it's really not that complicated. If you're in a situation, I'm like, you know, if somebody can't give consent, you know, teaching my nephews and having friends of mine that are boy moms teach their children. If you don't know that she's hundred percent clear on anything, you take your hands off and you back up. Yep. Just stay out of it. Yep. Walk away from it because you don't know and you don't want to end yourself up in a he said, she said, or a sticky situation. So better to avoid it altogether. Yep. But, the, you know, the thing is, too, is that, you know, when we're in situations where, it's, and I think, you know, and I, and I, one of the things that I have noticed with people when I, whenever I published like four or five articles that had different things to do with national policy and different stories and, my take on it as a, as a rape survivor and saying and having people then comment and throwing their two cents in with what they would have done. That's and I always, well, and I, you know, and the thing is, is I always come up from, and I've had people reach out to me and say, well, did you see the comment that so-and-so left on your story? Yep, I did. And I freely chose to share my story knowing that not everybody's going to React um, validate it, react in a positive way. There's going to be every kind of thing under the sun and I have to be okay with that. Yep. So I have to get to a space. I'm like, before I hit the publish button, I was okay with where I was in order to be in that space of, I'm going to talk about something controversial and therefore. Yep. And I think it's really important because you know, when we talk about like when I did rape crisis counseling, I did when I went in 2013 and I went to to interact, nobody knew I was there. And I normally people know roughly at least one person knows where I am um, at all times. It's just how I operate. And uh, so 
I went to the rape crisis center by myself and talked to a counselor, told them the whole thing, went through about seven months of pretty intensive weekly counseling, just focused on my rape and um, really worked hard on healing that. And then I did, and then it was probably the following fall that um, I was asked to, you know, I was at my, my counselor said, do you want to join? Um, I, we have a group going mm-hmm. for nine weeks. Do you want to go? I think that this would be really helpful for you. Sure. I'd be, you know, sure. And I said, she's like, I think that your story would be really helpful. But so I went in and it was very helpful for a lot of the people to know that they can get to where I am, but it was also helpful for me to heal another layer witnessed by different people. So it's a healing process. And I think a lot of people are under the misnomer of you just snap your fingers and boom. Oh, yes. I heard that. Um, As opposed to being in that situation where it's like, no, no, it's not that simple. So it's, you know, to be in that situation where, um, you know, to be in that situation where I went through two different types of counseling to really heal it and to be in a space of, um, to really be in a space where I'm grounded in my healing and yes, things still come up. So, you know, it's funny cause like when, not funny, haha, but when, um, like when Christine Blasey Ford was testifying in front of Congress um, and saying that Brett Kavanaugh had sexually assaulted her. I had several friends of mine that knew my story reach out to me and say, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? What is your intuition telling you? What do you feel like as a survivor? What is your gut instinct? So I shared. And you know, one of the things that you get to when you really heal it deeply is you don't care what anybody else thinks. Exactly. And you get to a space of this is my story. I know what happened. I don't need your validation. This is the deal. Yep. 100%. You know, a lot of times people will sit there and they'll say, you know, well, you seem really confident. I'm like, I am. I know. People will even interpret that as like, you are rude. I have, you know, honestly, I've had it happen once or twice, but I also think part of the thing is, is that very often when we're talking about rape and sexual assault, there are third rail topics. There are things that we don't talk about a lot. And when we do, again, people want to throw shade because they're super uncomfortable. And rather than say, I'm uncomfortable with this conversation, they'd rather say, well, what were you wearing and what were you doing? And I'm going to sit here and judge you right back into the closet so I don't have to deal with it. And I'm like, you know what? Here's the deal. Your opinion of me is none of my business, whether it's regarding my rape, or my life, how I'm running my business, it doesn't matter. And when you get to that space where you're able to um, stand for yourself and for other women, um, because I really believe there will always be other rape victims. There will always be other sexual assault victims. I don't know in our lifetime that we're going to get to, because I've had people say, well, how long are you going to talk about this? And I'm like, until there's no longer a need. And I would love it to be in my lifetime, but I really believe that thinking and how we process things in our cultural and our religious norms that people can, I like, there's so many people that say, well, um, you know, he's a really good man. So look at people and I say, okay, look at the statistic, like, let's just take a microcosm. Let's just take the military. You have approximately 1 million American citizens um, serving in the military. If you look at the incidence of sexual assault and rape in the military, 
and we want to we want to always you know thank people for their service and believe that everybody's a good man and everybody that puts on the uniform is a good person but statistically you know those thousands of men and women who perpetrate harm on other people yep. are grandfathers they are fathers they are brothers they are sons they are somebody's something yep and yet they are guilty of a crime that is horrendous and life-altering and we're in a space where again where we don't want to the military trying to change it and pull it out of the pull prosecutions for rape out of the chain of command um i've been involved with that fight for you know many years and I remember the last time that it came up and it was this whole thing. And I got a, uh, an email from rain saying from rain.org saying, um, you know, would you be willing to lend your voice to Congress? And I wrote an article on it. I emailed, I sent direct message tweets. I did all these things to try to say, this needs to be not in the chain of command. The person that can decide your career needs to not be the person deciding whether you were raped or not. Yep. Yeah. That just seemed like common sense to me. And yet when it got before Congress, it was like, they all went and testified. All these military people went and testified. And then all these people, all these women who are supposedly feminists, who are supposedly for women and, you know, whatever collapsed. And we're like, well, it's, we can't do this and we can't do that. And basically they all went pansy. They all went, you know, limp wristed and can't do anything about it. And I was like, don't you ever. Don't you ever speak to women's rights and to tell me about how you're for all victims ever again after that. Yep. Because as soon as it came up and you had the opportunity to fight for women, I don't know what happened behind closed doors, but you suddenly went, okay, well, we can't do that. So we're just going to table it. Yep. You're not fighting for women. And so that's part of why a big part of why I, why I stand up is because I feel like every time a woman is in a position, because it's not, you know, here's the thing. The thing with rape and sexual assault is it's not a crime you can walk away from. Yep. And you know, if your car, if your car is broken into, yes, it's a violation of your space and what have you and your trust and all that jazz, but you can get rid of that car if you want to. Yep. You can drive away from wherever it happened. If your house gets broken into, you have methods to, you know, redress. Yep. Rape and sexual assault are the only crimes that are perpetrated on our body. And our body is the evidence space. Our body is part of the evidence. And so the notion that, you know, you can just, well, just, you know, choose to think. I had someone tell me, why don't you just choose to think different thoughts? <laughs> and I had this moment of, are you serious? Like, are you serious right now? I had another woman tell me, um, well, her husband was entitled to this and she's telling me all these things and she's telling me in graphic detail about how her husband repeatedly raped her. And then when I say to her, do you know, you've been raped, right? And I'm like, I'm not judging. I'm just saying what you're telling me is rape. And she goes, oh no, no, sweetie. She's like, we've been married for 20 years. And I'm like, so? I don't care if you've been married for five minutes. He's not entitled to anything. But that mentality of, I owe my husband sex. 
So therefore it's not rape. Or, you know, he has a mistress and since he has a mistress and I know, but he introduced us, so it's okay. Okay. Hmm. And I went, um, and I'm like, but let's go back. Let's rewind to the part where he, where he's telling you that he's going to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants and doing things he doesn't belong doing even in front of family. And she's telling me the story and I'm like, wait, what? And she's like, yeah, Thanksgiving day. I'm in the kitchen carving the turkey and the rest of the family's in the other, in the dining room waiting for, you know, me to serve the turkey and what have you. My husband's outside doing whatever he's doing. He comes in and she's like, he pulls my pants down and does what he wants to do while there's 25 people in her dining room. And I'm like, and I, I mean, I mean, obviously my, I don't have a good, I don't do well at hiding my face. It has no filter, but I just sat there and thought, are, are you serious right now? I'm like, no judgment. I'm just floored that there's a mentality out there that that's okay. And it's, but it's in this space that we keep feeding that as opposed to saying, you know, cause when one of the things, you know, as opposed to saying, no, that's not okay. And to laying down the, and a lot of times too, is we don't lay down boundaries. So if there's no boundaries, if there's a, you know, if there's a, if there's, for example, is a incest perpetrator in the house, or there's someone who is, you know, a child molester in the house. And it's like, well, you know, but give your uncle, aunt, whoever a hug because they're family. I heard this many times. Yes. And it's one of those things where it's like, okay, but if that person is doing something bad and hurting people, and I you know, they need to be stopped. Something needs to be done. And I've heard a lot of people be, I've heard of people being ostracized. Um, I know at least three people who are, who are war refugees in the U.S. who are under assumed names because if they, real names were listed, the, they're terrified the person, even though that person is not allowed in the country, they would somehow find a way to come into the country and physically harm them. And it's like, that you kind know, of living, we, looking around your shoulders all around your life. Yes. No. And to be in that space of, you know, I mean, and I mean, I lived that at one point, not because I was afraid of my rapist, because I was not, but to be in a space of, um, you know, when I realized and I had to relearn to trust myself, when it all came to the surface and I got it all out of my body, the nightmare stopped, um, the spider nightmare stopped the flashbacks all stopped because I had dealt with it because I come to that space of, I need to get this out of it. Cause it, honestly, it's poison in your body till you deal with it. Yep. And we often don't, you know, we often as women, especially because, especially if we're people pleasers and so many of us are, or were that we're in that space of, I don't want to upset anybody. I don't want to get anybody in trouble or our family will say, well, you don't want to get uncle so-and-so in trouble because, you know, he's old and frail and we don't want him to die in jail. Okay. But my soul is dying because yep. I can't speak. So, and we don't, and a lot of women do not. And then they come years later or their marriage is having issues and it, your trauma is going to show up in your life and your relationships in some way, shape or form, you're going to leak emotionally. Yep. And to be in that space, as I started healing my rape, and I talked about it publicly. Um, and I would also say to the point of, you know, when you're telling your family, um, I told my dad in 2014, 
And I was terrified, being very honest and very transparent about it. Um, I knew I was speaking publicly back in Raleigh the weekend after I was visiting my dad. Um, so I was visiting my dad and my stepmom, and I was like, I have to tell him because if something happens and it becomes public on Facebook, that is not how you want someone to find out about your life stuff. So true. So true. And so even though I knew the agency was doing, you know, was not sharing our names and they were just sharing us as like storyteller one, whatever, one through 14. Um, but I needed to tell him. And so I, you know, we're sitting down, we're watching television and I put my, I put my, my laptop down and I looked at my dad and I'm like, I have to tell you something. And I just like, it was the one time in my life where I verbally vomit, vomited out of control because I just needed to get it out. Get it out. Yep. And, um, my dad was in tears. He was, you know, like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. What can I do? I was apologizing. He was like, what are you apologizing for? He was upset that he hadn't been told, but I said, dad, honestly, he's like, your mom knew. And I said, mom knew, but keep in mind, I was way over 18. So it wasn't hers to tell. And I buried it. So I immediately went to a space of like, I, you know, like, that's why I kept it for so long. And until I got to a place where I need to tell my story or it's going to kill me, it's going to eat me alive. And I think there's so many, I mean, I look at the statistics on the rain website about the sexual assaults and the rapes that are reported. And I know anybody that's involved in this work in this advocacy section of any kind knows that they are way, way underreported. And I look at people and I, you know, and I often have asked people, what is it going to take for you to take this seriously? Like dealing with rape kits in North Carolina and saying, what's it going to take? What has to happen so that you take this seriously and you actually care enough to deal with this? Because so many people, um, they just don't care. I mean, they're, they, well, rape is not a priority. Rape and sexual, I've been told. Our current governor, when he was AG of North Carolina, said rape and sexual assault are not a priority. Okay, so you have someone that's probably out there committing rape and sexual assault. And a lot of people are repeat offenders. Yep. Then- so we're in a position where how many rape kits have the same DNA if we just would test them? And to be in a space of, well, we can't, you know, it's not a priority. I'm like, okay, so then you're taking on the liability for that person, that person, and that person being raped when this, I mean, I'm, I'm curious abundantly knowing how many rape kits we have in storage in, in crime labs across the state of North Carolina, never mind across the country. How many, if you started going backwards and found matching DNA of serial rapists, and again, Serial rapists are not the bridge dweller. They're not the guy under the bridge that the scary dude in a trench coat, you know, hanging out in the parking lot. That's not who they are. Statistically, that's not who they are. And for us to be in a situation, and when I say us, I mean the country as a whole, to be in a place where so many people look at sexual assault and rape as, Yep. Or, you know, we don't want to indict so-and-so or, well, so-and-so is a good man. And I'm like, okay, but you know, the fa- like, what did she do to bring it on? Like, what did she do to encourage it? And, 
um, like the Brock Turner, I remember the Brock Turner case when that came up and the judge saying, well, he has a really bright future ahead of him and we don't want to ruin that. Okay, but he's the one that chose to do the action. So that's called the consequence if he ruins his own life. Yep. It's not her fault that this happened. Yep. And we don't, I'm not, you know, and I say to people, I understand that you have a really hard time with the notion that somebody, something could be a rapist, could be a sexual molester, could be guilty of sexual assault. And I'm not saying that everybody is. I'm simply saying that when we're, because, you know, the flip side of that is when we're in denial that it's a problem, then where are we at? Because you sit there and you say, okay, um, you know, like one of my, one of my guy friends, um, you know, went through this whole, what was, I don't remember where he was, but he was somewhere. And this guy says, um, I believe all women. And he goes, okay. So they're having this conversation. He goes, well, my, he's like, so, you know, evidence-based or, you know, and the guy looks at him and he says, he goes, well, you believe all women. Yeah. It's okay. He says, so if my wife is in the elevator with you and she comes out of the elevator and she goes, he touched me. He molested me. He raped me in the elevator. And it's now on you to prove that you didn't do it. Where are we at? Mm. And, it, and the guy was like, and I'm like, we're, we need to be in a space of evidence-based. Like we're not like when I was healing my rape, because people have said, you know, I've had been asked about, it, and I always refer back to my rape and say, there's a distance, there's a difference between healing it and dragging someone through the mud. Yep. Yep. So if I'm in a space where like, when I, when I went, you know, when I wanted to heal my rape, I know my rapist was in a relationship with him. But the fact of the matter is, is I one went to the statute of limitations for the state of Florida. It's three years, or at least it was the last time I checked. And so I was like, okay, so I don't even want to, like, if you put a report up, like you could, but then because you're naming a person, we have to call him in. Yeah. And I went, okay, that is not, my intention is not to upturn someone's life. My intention is to heal. So I am going to let that go. And people, and I'm like, because here's the thing, the statute of limitations is expired. I chose to bury my rape. I chose to not deal with it until 11 years after the fact. So that is on me. And I'm, you know, but to, to the same point is saying, when I was healing my rape, Part of the process is not necessarily naming your rapist yep. publicly. Like I can know, like forgive the same process with forgiveness. Like when I was going through rape counseling and my um, counselor said, okay, so your task for next week is to start to forgive him. And I went, mm-hmm. you're out of your damn mind. Like you are crazy if you think that's going to happen. She was like, okay, here's what you're going to do here. And she tried to kind of give me the flu. She's like, you're drinking poison, expecting him to die. Mm. Okay, valid. (laughs) So I went home, I did the homework of, and the homework for me was writing him a letter, obviously not to be sent, but just to get all of my emotion, my anger, my frustrations, my, how dare you, all of that out of my system. And um, I had to come in the next week and read the letter aloud. Hmm. And I sobbed reading the letter. Hmm. 
I bucket cried reading the letter. Got through it once. And um, she said, okay, so the, the, so the homework to continue is, so we were taking things apart and really dealing with the emotion and getting the raw emotion out, getting the raw emotion out. She's like, so she explained to me and said, you're going to keep talking about this. You're going to keep reading the letter every other day or so until you're bored with it. And I said, okay. She's like, the point is we're milking all of the emotion out of it. When the emotion is out of it, and I heard that prior with my emotion training, was that if when we get all the emotion out of it, the story collapses. Now, the story is still valid, but I got to a point where I was reading it and I was it was a four-page letter. And I got to a point where I was like halfway through it one day and I just stopped. I said, I'm, I'm this, I don't want to keep reading. And she, my counselor was okay. She's like, do you feel like you're, and she'd seen me going through the ugly crying and at the beginning. So she was like, I said, I'm just honestly bored. She was okay. So take it home, shred it, burn it, flush it down the toilet. Okay, fine. So I did all that. Um, I also did Ho'oponopono on my rapist. Um, which is, it's the Hawaiian forgiveness prayer. It's, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you, I love you. And it's two, it's mirroring because on the one hand, I'm, you're, it sounds backward to be like, why are you asking someone that hurt you to forgive you? But I'm also asking myself for forgiveness for not holding that boundary, mm. for not seeing the bright red flags for what they were. Yep. So all those pieces that then have to come back together, um, so I did Ho'oponopono on him and then um, burned the letter, did all that. She said, do you feel like you've forgiven him yet? I'm like, honestly, if I saw him in public, um, I said, I, I'm not in a space anymore where I would want to hide. Hmm. But I also, if I saw him again, it would, it would be too soon. I, I'm not, if I never saw him again, I'm good. Um, but we have to, but we have to, we owe it to ourselves to heal those wounds, but we also owe it to ourselves to feel it completely. And a lot of times what we do when it comes to traumas of any kind is we don't allow it to land and really be in that space of, I was raped and this happened. Yep. Yep. And it's not from a space of looking for outside validation as much as it's, it needs to land so that I can then deal with it. I mean, it's like, if you're in this, if you're in the middle of a hurricane, the first thing you're going to do is not be like, Hey, let's repair the roof while it's still raining. Mm. You got to wait till everything clears and then be in a space of, you know, some people can be immediately in a, that space of gratitude. And like, I'm thankful I'm alive. It's just a house we can rebuild. They're just possessions, blah, blah, blah. Some people can do that. Some people need to be in that space of, Oh my God, everywhere I look for miles, there's absolutely nothing. Yep. And neither of those responses is wrong. The yeah. same way is when you're a rape survivor, when you're a sexual assault survivor, when you're coming out of a domestic violence situation, you really can't get your response wrong. But it is important to honor that space for yourself because we're in a space where, you know, one of the things that I had someone say to me a couple of years ago, just completely randomly. So why did you go through all this stuff to heal? And I said, because I felt like it was incumbent upon me to share my story because I kept thinking, and I mean, there were some really, not going to lie, 
there were some moments when I was, there was a lot of shame. There was a lot of what could I have done? And I end up saying to people, you don't know how many times I have torn the entire moment by like, it's a bad movie reel and you're trying to edit it. Everything moment by moment to be like, where did I miss, you know, where did I not see the red flags? Where did I not see? Where did I not? What did I not like? What did I do wrong? And I'm like, I have played those probably 10,000 times in my head and tried to pick it apart and tried to find the place or tried to not make him as we do often. Yeah. Try to not make my rapist guilty. Yep. Like, well, it's my fault that I was, you know, like one of my friends said to me, well, you know, if you hadn't been having premarital sex, okay, well, true. But the fact of the matter is, is that in your, in her lifetime, three out of four women are going to be assaulted in some way. Yep. Um, and I don't remember even what the statistic is, I mean, because it's been updated, but the statistic is still really high as far as women having a reoccurrence. So like women that were molested or sexually abused as a child, then it happening again to them as a woman is high. Like it's above 50%. And we're in a space where, again, until we're in a space where we can have those honest conversations, which is why I'm talking to you, which is why I openly talk about it. Because the more that I can say, look, we're not going anywhere. We need to get to the point in this conversation where you're not doing this. Yep. where you're not viscerally reacting when someone says the word rape, where you don't automatically feel like I can't say anything. Yeah. we got to get to a space where you go, I'm sorry that happened to you. Tell me what happened um, and what I can do to be a resource for you to what, because that was one of the very first things that my dad said to me was, how can I help you? How can I support you? And I said, honestly, just the fact that you believe me that you hear me is really important to me. Right there. I mean, believing is the biggest thing is I, I feel at least like if you are telling somebody like, yes, this happened to me, you don't have to support or like even go beyond that point or anything. First, trust them on what they're saying. Believe in their words first. That itself is like a biggest part that I don't see people do. Absolutely. And I think that the thing is too, is, you know, is a lot of times people feel like if they're saying they believe you, then they're automatically indicting another person. Yep. And I end up saying, it's funny because like when I've heard like politically charged rape cases, um, and I say to people, okay, so there, so that person, you believe all women except that one, because it's not politically convenient for you. Okay, so what is she supposed to do, whoever she might be, to heal her situation? And people, you know, and it's funny because, you know, someone had asked me, you know, and I've been asked so many times about different cases. Anytime there's a case that comes up, somebody will invariably message me and say, I'm curious as to what you think. Um, When I post something and say, hey, this is a victory, like there was someone a year ago or so, um, I want to say it was a case out of New Jersey. I want to say the guy, um, the man that was convicted, he got like two years in prison and people were apoplectic. And I said, listen, as someone who's been dealing with, I said, most of you are apparently brand new to this whole shindig because the reality is I will take two years all day long over nothing because 95% of cases 
never make it to court. They're not prosecuted. We don't touch. We make this really insane plea bargain with dude. And I'm like, well, he can have probation and he, you know, we're going to slap his wrist and give him a $500 fine. But what does that do to get somebody who thinks that he's entitled to your body or any other woman's body off the street? Yep. It doesn't do anything. And so when we're in that space of, you know, I end up saying, you know, when we're in that space of ignorance, um, I end up saying to people, look, and I said in this article, there was a pub, there was the, the public's, I don't remember who it was AP or whatever news source it was published it. And I said, look, this is a massive victory for rape and sexual assault advocates because there's jail time. He's spending some amount of time in jail and he's paying a massive fine. And honestly, that's more than most people deal with. It's more than most people even have a conversation about. And so, you know, I feel like part of the, you know, part of what I end up doing is educating people and try, you know, I try to stay up to date on the statistics and, um, you know, current legislation and current cases, because I feel like it's really important to be in that space of, um, not only telling my story, but, you know, telling people, like saying there's always going to be a future rape victim. As much as I hate that, I don't control people. So if I can say to you, hey, Smith, let's talk to people about, you know, hey, audience member, if you find yourself in a situation where a friend of yours or someone you love has been through this, please get a rape kit done. Please report it. Even if you don't do anything with with it at least do that so it's not just he said she said yep. at least do something so that they can you can be in that space of I can do something I have avenues yeah. um when I was in my rape crowd when I was in my rape counseling group there was a woman in the group that had been raped the night before the group started and she had been um she'd been abducted and the guy abducted her into her own house, threatened to kill her and did all kinds of macabre stuff and was awful beyond awful to her. Um, when she called the police, they entered into her apartment and said, it's a miracle that this looks like we were expecting to find a body. There was that much blood. We were expecting to find a body and not a live human being. They took all of her evidence. She had a rape kit done, all of it. And then when they went to go, I mean, they had, they got the guy. She ID'd the guy clearly. And we were following this over the weeks and are asking like, what's going on with this case? What can we do to help you? How can we best support you? In a space where this is brand new, we have a chance to prosecute somebody for rape. And it isn't like, and someone is going to listen to this and be like, oh, you're trying to go after all men. No. But this is a situation where you had a crime scene, you had a perpetrator, you had someone clearly identified, you had a rape kit. I mean, basically like she checked off all the boxes on how to do it right if you happen to be in that unfortunate situation where you're raped. And so her advocate and my, my actual counselor was her advocate as well. And she, and uh, when they went through everything, and they said, what's, you know, what are we missing? And she said, well, I got a call from the police officer, the detective saying they're missing the rape kit. And my counselor was like, 
y'all don't mind if we take a minute before we get started with the counseling session tonight. This is serious. What's go- what do you mean they're missing the rape kit? Well, they're missing the rape kit. Like, okay, it's not with the evidence with at the courthouse, or is it like not found? Or well, no, we think it's at the state crime lab, but they won't process it. So my my um her advocate her my counselor who is also her advocate and her detective went down to the state crime lab, got the kit and babysat the lab tech to force them by court order to pro to process this kit. To process this kit because they're like. We have, um, we have literally two trash bags of evidence. We have hundreds of photographs. The dude admitted to doing it. We have literally everything to have this be about the most open shut rape case we've had in Wake County in 20 plus years. And you're sitting on a rape kit. What in the world? And, but again, people don't realize it because they're like, oh, well, you know, and I hear people say, well, it doesn't happen, you know, and they, and they start talking about trying to make it super insignificant. And I go, well, if it's your mother or your wife or your sister or your daughter, then do you care? Like how personal and ugly do I need to get with this before you get a clue and go, oh, that's not good. Yep. To be in that space of, well, duh. But again, a lot of times we don't get... um you know, we don't go into that space of dealing with something until we get to that space of it's affecting us. We don't move on something until it's affecting us. And, you know, I guess you get to the notion of, you know, I didn't stand that it was an, oh, I don't remember the whole thing. But the point was, is that, you know, people saying, and it was, came out during World War II, like I didn't stand up for these people because I wasn't one of them. I didn't stand up for that person because they weren't one of me. I'm not going to stand up for this person because she's not one of me. Well, what happens when it hits to your house? Yep. And it's your mother, it's your daughter, it's your wife, it's your grandmother, it's your whoever. Now you care? Yep. And now there's nobody to speak for you. Yep. So at what point do we start getting into that space? And again, that's why I, you know, it's like, well, aren't you worried about people knowing, you know, the intimate details of your life? No. Because honestly, I have no shame. I don't, and it's not to be snarky. It's just to say, I've gotten to the point where I worked through the shame that I had attached to it. And I'm solid in my healing and I'm solid in my knowledge that I didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Because once you get to that space, then you become, no, but people can't mess with you because you're like, yeah, this happened. And, and we get to that space where that's when we can have the conversation that we need to have. That's when we can get past people's judgment and their criticism and say, you realize you're criticizing this because you're trying to affect it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And being in that space of your, when someone is, crit- and I've had people say, what do you do when someone judges or criticizes you? I don't do anything because honestly, that's on them. That's their attempt at covertly trying to control me because they don't, they're, because they're uncomfortable with the subject. Yep. Which is not my problem. And we go back again and again and again to it's not my problem. It's not going to become my problem because you think that I should da-da-da-da-da. Yep. Okay, well, fantastic for you, but 
fact of the matter is you weren't there. And I end up saying that so often in every kind of people. It's funny because when people will see me on social media talking about something on a public thread and I'll say, I wasn't there. Yep. But I would imagine that this would be a really hard decision to make in a split second. Yep. You know, I mean, knowing, and I'm like, you know, it's really easy to judge somebody in a situation and be emotional about something that we're not involved in. Yep. That the is fact of the, you know, and to say to people, you know, the fact of the matter is, and I've said this to people before, I'm like, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that you probably are never going to have to in your lifetime make a, a split second decision about warding off a carjacker or whether to, you know, fight for your kid or not, or whether to pull out a gun on somebody. Mm. You probably are not going to have to deal with that. Yeah. So to be in a space where you want to judge somebody else about it, like, how about if we come out of that space of judgment and come into that space of God, that really sucks that it happened. What can I do forward moving to handle this? Well, first of all, you can not make rape jokes. Yep. If you hear other people um, talking off color, be masculine and adult male enough to correct them. To own it in your own self and to say, gosh, and a lot of times we don't correct people because we see it in ourselves. Yep. And we don't want to be in that space of, oh God, I have to admit that I have set off color things. You know, yeah, I've set off color things in my life. Absolutely, I have. And so have you, and so have you, and so have you. So get off your little high horse, get down from your white pillar and live life. Yeah. Now, what can you do? to be proactive in the space, you know, to be, and it's like, you know, when people will say, well, how, you know, what can a woman do? Buddy system. In my, in my case, there was nothing that I could have done, yeah. but if you're out in public buddy system, have a plan before alcohol is involved. Yeah. Have an absolute plan that everybody agrees to stick to before alcohol is involved. So nobody's getting into unidentified Ubers. Nobody is going home with somebody. If the agreement is, is that nobody goes home with a guy they don't know, then we stick to that agreement, even if that means that Sarah's pissed off at you for three days. Yep. Because Sarah doesn't know that Sarah doesn't know John from Adam's house cat. And the reality is maybe it would have been okay, but you don't know. You don't want to end up a statistic. Yep. Yep. So it's a whole lot easier to have those discussions beforehand you know, the buddy system when you're going to the bathroom. Um, when I used to go, you know, when before all this COVID stuff, you know, when I would go out and I would, you know, do things with friends or I would go to meetups or what have you, I would always have, if I was in a restaurant where I felt safe to go to the bathroom by myself, I totally would. If I saw another woman going to the bathroom or like if we were in a crowded bar, as an example, and I'd say, hey, do you want me to come with you? Like, oh, I need to go to the bathroom too. So it wasn't weird. It was just like, oh, I'll go too while we're at it. Or it's a commercial. I'll go too. So that you always are in a space where someone is not going to take on two women. Yep. They're just not going to do that. To be in that space of if you see something hinky or something feels weird to you, say something. If you notice a woman is in a, you know, she looks like she's compromised or she looks like something is weird or she looks like she is too inebriated to make a decision don't be afraid. I would rather have you step forward and overstep that boundary and be like, hey, are you okay? Yep. 
rather than not and make that assumption the other way and then something bad happens. Not that it would be your personal responsibility, but to be in a space of, if I can do those little things, yes. if I can have, you know, like when I would go and I would, you know, go, oh, I'm good to go to my car by myself and have situational awareness, no earbuds in your ears, yes. no staring at your phone when you, especially at night, be in situational awareness so that, you know, if you're out jogging at night, looking up at the people that you're, you know, making eye contact, I see you, you see me. I could identify you in a lineup yep. if I needed to, to be in that space where we're at least saying, and most of the, you know, like, and I noticed, you know, one of the things I notice, I run every day. And one of the things that, you know, broad daylight, close to sunlight, you know, close to sundown, whatever, is no matter where I'm running, guys that are legit and on the up and up will always make sure that you see them and that you know that they are not wishing you yep. ill. Yep. Hey, how are you? Hey, you yep. know, letting you, I, mean, I even had someone that I was running about a month ago and I was totally zoned for whatever reason. And the guy walked up to me and he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, oh God, I'm sorry. I'm like, I just totally spaced out for a hot second. You okay? I'm good. Thank you. Okay. Going on my merry way. So it's, but it's incumbent upon both sexes yep. to be in a, to upon all parties to be in that space of looking out for other people, to yep. be in that space. If you see something, like if you're in a space where, you know, any kind of situation where like when I get into my car, like, you know, always try to park under lights, have your keys out, have a plan, always know, like texting someone to let them know, know the plan. Hey, I'll text, I'm leaving the bar now. I'll text you when I get to my car. I will text you when I get home. I will text you when I'm back in my apartment safely. So if there's any place where you're missing that text, yep. you immediately can ring the bell and be like, hey, I had the screenshot where she was telling me that she was going to text me this, this, and this, and I haven't gotten that text and she's not responding. Yep, yep. Because that way you don't have to be like, okay, let's wait 24 hours before we report a missing. I know, like I know that she's not unresponsive. Yep. So if I'm telling you that, you know, she's going to respond and she doesn't respond, something is wrong. Yep. Yep. Can we do that now as opposed to waiting? Um, but I think all those are such important points because, you know, so often, especially when, you know, like with my situation where it's already happened, there's nothing you can do to, behind me but there's always something you can do forward. Forward, yep. And I end up telling people, I'm like, you know what you want to do? I'm like, write your, you know, write your, email your sheriff's department, email your police department, see where rape kits are handled in your state, in your county, and advocate for them to be processed. Find out what the rules and the, what the laws are for prosecution for rape, sexual assault, domestic violence. Yep. When you realize they're basically either very soft or almost non-existent, do something. Yeah. Make it a point to say, hey, as a husband, as a father, as a whatever, as a, you know, as a girl, as a as a girl dad, it's important to me that even though this has not happened in my family, it hasn't affected us directly. We don't want to be in that space where you suddenly need it and yeah. don't have it. I mean, to borrow a phrase, you'd rather build the well before you're thirsty. So to be in that space where if we can advocate positively and say, you know, I noticed that the state of North Carolina, fill in the blank, or I noticed that the state of Washington, fill in the blank, or I noticed that in DC, 
this is the situation. And understanding that, you know, because a lot of people say, well, how come that's not a federal thing? And I'm like, because it's states' rights. But we, in our own individual states, we can look up our laws and say, hey, this needs to be strengthened. Because I honestly feel like, aside from personal responsibility, the biggest deficit across the board in all 50 states is that we have really lax laws when it comes to sexual assault and rape. And if we're in a space where like, we're serious about doing something about it, if every single person listening to your podcast looked up the laws and went, oh my God, which I guarantee there's going to be a lot of, oh my gods, and then emailed their, you know, state legislators, their, um, you know, local police, sheriff, what have you, their attorney general, and then also had 10 of their friends or two of their friends do the same thing. You create a waterfall effect. Yep. Well, hey, and the thing is, is politicians hate crappy PR. Yep. So if there's enough people that are like, oh, hey, I'm getting 10,000. I got 10,000 emails over a week about our rape kids. We probably need to look into that in our next legislative session. Yep. That's how you affect forward change as opposed to sitting there and being like, well, you, you couldn't really have been raped because he's your husband or he's your, you know, or he's your, you know, whatever. Or, you know, I don't believe he did that because you waited to report it or all the other things that, I mean, I've heard it all. And I look at people and I'm like, you know, honestly, it doesn't, your ignorance is not cute. It's not a good look, but I'm also not going to waste my time getting verklempt about it because listen, I'm going to correct you and then I'm going to keep rolling because this is what I can affect. And I, I only spend my energy on things that I can affect. You know, I was like, you know, I couldn't do anything about mine. I made mistakes. Um, but again, I didn't know what I didn't know. And so to be in a space now where I can say, hey, um, if this happens to you, here's what steps I would take. Because you never know when you have that in your back pocket, how someone is going to come to you and say, I, mean, I had it last summer. Um, someone messaged me at like three in the morning. And I mean, that I have friends all over the world. So it's not that that's never happened, but I happen to be awake and I happen to be coherent enough to like, look at the message. And it was like, can I call you? It's an emergency. Um, sure. So the person calls me and she's the long story short was a friend of hers had been raped and she was, um, they called the police and she was like, I'm not sure like what I'm trying to encourage her to do the rape kit, file the police report. She knows who did it, you know, whatever. I'm just not hundred percent sure. Like I'm, I feel like I'm on shaky ground. She's like, and I'm not really awake. And I understand if you're not either. And I'm like, no. And I immediately was like, boom, instantly awake. Like, okay, first of all, good call, calling the police. Bravo for that. I'm like, definitely get the rape kit. I'm like, is she at the hospital or no, I'm with her. We're still at her apartment. Okay. So like walking through, like, this is what needs to happen. And I'm like, don't touch anything, no showering, no nothing. I know it's gross, but don't, don't breathe. Don't touch anything, nothing. And uh, I'm like, are the police there? Okay. Is it, you know, what are they doing? Um, And I, you know, the place that she lived, um, I kind of knew how there, cause I had done, when I had done research, I had kind of like looked into different cities and, you know, big city. So I looked at the thing. I'm like, they have a separate sexual assault unit. Ask if they, she's like, that's what they're doing now. They're calling in a special detective. I'm like, okay, cool. So like walking through, 
yes, you need to get the rape kit. Don't touch anything. Don't breathe on it. Nothing. Go do the thing. I said, hopefully if they're not telling her, please tell her that she just because she's getting it doesn't mean that the rape kit done. She's not required to prosecute, but you at least have to have all of that physical evidence if you have a chance, because otherwise it's he said, she said. Yep. And so going through all those things and she was like, thank you for being a resource. I mean, I was on the phone with her for like an hour and a half as she's sitting next to the person that was raped. And she's like, you know, at, even telling the police things that they didn't even, the, the person that had showed up, the officer that showed up who wasn't trained to handle rape and sexual assault was like, oh, that's a really good point. And I'm like, yep, that's what we need to do. And to be in that space of like, and I'm like, and by the way, I'm like, talked to her like a couple of days later. And I said, you need to also get in touch with your local police department and your city council and demand that all the officers have basic minimum sexual assault training. That is so true. Because they don't have it. And it's not that, you know, they're idiots or they're ignorant or whatever. They just don't, departments focus on their specific things. And every officer needs to know how to handle a rape victim in the immediate aftermath. They need to know how to, don't touch anything. You haven't done anything wrong, but we need to save every possible, and I do mean tiny shred of evidence. If you have a piece of, I mean, I've known rape cases where a shred of skin that came from under somebody's fingernail was the thing that prosecuted the rapist. Yep, yep. So if we're in that space where it's like, what can you do? What can I really do? Um, but it, I mean, that's, it's just so important. And to be in that space of, you know, every rape victim that chooses to heal, that does her work as painful and as humiliating and as exhausting as it can be. Every time somebody chooses to tell their story, every time somebody chooses to speak out, you get you number one, you, you strengthen yourself. And you strengthen the pillar for all the other women, the circle for all the other women out there that are in this unfortunate group. Nobody wants to be in this circle. Yeah, yeah. But the fact of the matter is through no fault of our own, we are. We are. So when we get to that space, okay, fine. You also inspire other women to be in a space of I can just for two minutes have the strength to call the police. Yeah. If I can have the strength, the amount of time it takes you to call 911. If I can have somebody, if I can know as a woman and be a resource to another woman to hold her hand while she's getting a rape kit done or to sit by her bedside and as she's getting the rape kit done and go through that with her and let her know she's not alone. Yep. Every time we do that, we chip away, we yes. chip away, we chip away. The more that we're able to chip away at the ugly and the darkness, the more that we let light in and the more that we come from a... we. Because it's not a, you know, we come from a place of compassion. We come from a place of grace. And the more that we get to that space of um, realizing it's not a singular approach. Yep. So it's not like it happened to you 10 years ago. There's nothing I can do. Yep. Always something like, you know, until, like I said before, until there's no longer rapes happening, True. I'm going to keep talking. True. Because whenever I'm asked to, I will do my best to advocate to tell my story because again so often we end up in spaces where we get shamed we get blamed and it's you know a situation where um you know we through whatever means women end up in situations where they are told yep they're either victim shamed or they're flat out told you know 
if you hadn't, yes, it's their fault. And the more that we are able to take all that off of people, and I've seen situations where a woman was raped and her whole, like, like her mother or her grandmother went through it and her sister or somebody else close to her was raped and never reported it. And then she comes up and she's like, yeah, this happened to me. And she's terrified of saying something, but then all this other stuff comes out and now she understands why. Because if that person was told to shut up and a lot of times too, is the older generations were threatened. Yep. Yep. If you, if you tell, you know, like when we had priests and when we had, you know, bosses, we had clergy, we had, you know, community pillars that would do bad things. And they would say, if you tell anybody, I'll kill you or I'll kill your whole family and I'll do this and I'll do that. So they not only did they not talk about what actually happened without naming anybody, they also took all of that energy with them. Yep. So true. And when we're in that space of like, we've never dealt with it and then to uncover that in somebody else's story later and say, well, crap, you know, and being like, okay, but maybe it's time now for you to heal. Maybe my talking allows you to heal, even if it's super uncomfortable. Yep. Yep. That's so true. That's so true. Man, it, it is never going to end actually. No, and that's, you know, and, that, and that's the thing is I think that, again, the notion of going backwards with what can we do as far as on both sides for prevention and what can we do as far as like taking care of ourselves yep. and, you know, be, if you're in a relationship and you see the red flags, keep them. I'm not in any way, don't want that to be interpreted as blaming anybody, but women oftentimes, especially if we're recovering people pleasers, we want to see the best in our guy, you know, we want to, or he's the father of my children. So therefore it's like, you know what, that doesn't make him a good man. Um, you know, and if we're, if we can get to that brain space of we're not blaming, we're not shaming, but we have to heal. The healing is an imperative. Um, I think that that helps everybody. Okay. Thank you for tuning in. And you can find me on all the socials at Smitha Gunturi and the show notes for any resources mentioned. See you next week. Take care.